Hello, everybody. This is Greg Vitti from Real Estate Legends. I'm here on a rainy Friday, and I'm so excited to be talking to one of my partners here, Tommy Choi. Tommy, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, my man. Oh, I'm excited to have you. I, I joined the Keller Williams about a year ago, and one of the first things I did was go to your office and have a really inspired talk with you. And I've found you to be very inspirational in many ways in my life and my real estate career. And we've just known each other a short time. So yeah. tell me, where'd you originally grow up? I'm first generation, first generation here. My parents, they immigrated here in the seventies from South Korea to what's now considered North Center. Lincoln and Berto. So you were Chicago's guy the whole yeah. time. So that's where I grew up. A little bit in Lakeview and then Mayfair. And then okay. when it came close to high school, my parents were like, hey, we're, we're going to get out of the city. And so then they moved to, we moved to Morton Grove. So you did some suburban stuff too. Yeah. If you'd call that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, suburban. you know, <laughs> I mean like anything from Lincolnwood to like Skokie is like an extension of the city a little, but yeah, it was. Yeah. And I think life. of Saganesh as being part of Burst. the suburbs. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny how it does get there with that Northwest side with all the policemen and firemen and everybody yeah. that needs to work there. So when, when did you first think you might go into real estate? That's a great question. So. You know, so it was it was a combination of a couple of things. Okay, so one, my grandpa, right? He's uh, he's probably was one of the most influential people in my life when he immigrated here, just like many immigrants, right? They they come to this country for opportunity. A big chunk of that opportunity for him that he sought after was to own his own home one day. Okay, because the path to do that at the time in Seoul was difficult here, though. And it, and it wasn't from a practical sense of just ha having a roof over your head. It was solely pride, pride of ownership. It's he, huge. He, he wanted to put his stake in the ground and say that that piece of Chicago, that piece of America was his because he worked his ass off for it. Right. So ever since I was a little kid, he would always share that with me, right? He would always say like, hey, don't get it twisted. Just because you were born here doesn't mean that home ownership is a guarantee, right? How old so, was he when he got here? He was, great question. He was proud. So my dad and my parents were 25. So my guess is probably like 55, 60s. And what kind of work had he done up till then and what did he do when he got here so when he got here so there's a korean restaurant on the corner of lincoln and berto called chosunok it's one of the oldest korean restaurants in chicago i think the oldest korean restaurant in chicago his first apartment with my dad because they were the first to come over was directly above that restaurant completely just rained a blind luck my grandpa's like okay i need i need a job there's a Korean restaurant underneath us. What are the chances? Went down, knocked on the door. Mr. Kim, the owner, who still is alive today, I think he's like just hitting 90s. He gave him a job as a dishwasher. He's probably impressed with your dad's uh, career. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he would wash dishes. And it's funny because when I go to the restaurant, which I still go very frequently, they, because they become family friends, obviously. And Mr. Kim, when he's there, he will come over. 
and tell that story to me every time like it's the first time I'm ever hearing like you he's like you've done so well and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't give your grandpa a job washing dishes and whatnot so wonderful great story it's so a great did story he, did he do some bus boy or waiter or he literally just stayed back there and washed dishes well as much as he could and I so, was a professional dishwasher for a see? while so I could totally appreciate that it's a rite of passage but you know it's funny not funny, but he kind of had to do what he needed to do. My dad, he was a mechanical engineer in Korea. That's when he went to school. He served in the army for four years as an ME. And then when he came here, no firm or gig would honor his training and education. So he did anything he could. He was a laborer on construction sites, literally just moving stones, you know, and debris and stuff off sites. And then eventually he ended up retiring as a welder for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, Amco Engineering in Franklin Park. So he just went blue collar, even though he had all of this white collar brains went, and everything else. Went blue collar. And it's interesting because... He saved that company millions of dollars by creating more efficiencies on design. And they would always be like, how'd you know how to do that, Joy? And he's like, this is what I went to school for. <laughs> and eventually he kind of like managed a group or whatnot. But I'll tell you what, he never complained once about it, right? And so that's where I learned a and got a lot of my grit in my DNA, right? That guy, if anyone could play victim, it should be him, right? But he chose to rise above. Rise above. And then his, you know, North Star was like, I need to do this so that my only kid doesn't have to deal with this bullshit, right? So, so you I are can, a single child. Yep. I'm only child for them. Only, only child. child. Only child for them. So the earliest memory I have is like when I was like six years old. And it's it's my grandpa telling me about, you know, hey, this is a privilege to own your own home one day. And he's like, and once you own it, you got to work your ass off to maintain it, right? And I used to always think, gosh, he's just like old and senile. I'm like, why are you telling me this, like about home ownership? And that's why you wanted to come to this country and all this. But, you know, our words are seeds that we plant, sure right? That's why we have to be so intentional and purposeful on what we choose to speak and put out to the universe. It just so happened, though, those seeds that my grandpa planted didn't start to sprout until I was at a crossroads in my life after my first corporate gig. And so that's kind of what put the spotlight on that story and like, oh, you know what? Real estate. I wonder if that's a way to do it, right? So part of my journey now is honoring that, right? So interesting because I was so inspired by my grandfather. He's just such a hard worker. You know, he came here, he worked in the sewers. Right. Oh, wow. And he built it up where he was the best sewer worker. Mm -hmm. Where on the North Shore, if you had a problem with your sewers, you call it diabetes. And in the meantime, he was teaching himself English and, and real estate and insurance. And then he sold his business to the, another Italian guy from Highwood for a lot of money. Yeah. And then he got into real estate. And I was the only one of their grandkids and they had probably 50 grandkids that would go up in Wisconsin and spend a lot of time with them, like seven days to 10 days. Yeah. And my grandfather seemingly senile because he would tell me the same exact stories right. over and over. <laughs> and I would never interrupt him. I would never see grandpa. You already told me that. Right. 
I would just say, this is fantastic. He really wants to ingrain this in my being. 100%. And after I went through so many crazy different times and, you know, I was about 27 when it all wore off me and I realized, wow, my dad and my grandfather are really geniuses. Right. And life doesn't have to be so heavy. Mm -hmm. It could go down to the basics. And if you build on those basics and you have the right foundation, I mean, I think that's wonderful that your grandfather had such an influence on you. Well, you know, and that's a thing is that I always look at it as, and, and you don't have to be a son of an immigrant or, or a daughter of an immigrant to have this mindset. You could be fifth generation in this country, but I, I'm their ROI, right? They, they took a chance and invested in themselves and their future to come to this country. And for me, everything I do is their return on their investment, right? Making them feel proud so they can say, you know what? The bullshit we just went through, it, it was well worth it because look at him. Let's be honest, Perry, but it's tough. You really have to, if you've never had a child, there's something that happens when they put it in your arm that all of a sudden you give up a lot of your life for another. And yeah. a lot of human beings never evolved to that to understand that. Yeah. And even my daughter made a comment to my wife a couple of days ago that she doesn't think she wants to have children because it doesn't seem like we're having so much fun or doing so well with it. <laughs> and I started to laugh at the, well, we're trying to, you're 18. Right. And it's challenging right, right now. Right. But I tell you, it, it sure is exciting. Uh, that's so funny. What? That's insightful of her to, to kind of say that. That's, that's well, she's hilarious. She's very smart. Yeah. And she's very intense. And, you know, we didn't have to grow up with a social media. And it's a blessing and a curse. Oh, yeah. And it's wonderful for us to be able to get our messages out. It's wonderful in a lot of ways. But for kids, it's brutal. Yeah. And so your first real estate gig was where and how old were you? Okay, so... The night before I go to college, okay? And I promise you, I'm not going to go in chronological order year by year here, but my dad, he sat me down and he said, hey, I need to have this expectations talk with you, okay? I'm like, sure, that's fair. And so he's like, listen, your mom and I, we worked our asses off. We came to this country with nothing, didn't speak a lick of English, one of our things for us is that we wanted to make sure that we could pay for four years of college for you, right? I'm like, great, and thank you, right? Yeah. Super grateful for that. But he said, I need to set some boundaries, though, for you. I'm like, okay, and expectations. I'm like, that's fair. And he said, expectation number one, right? He's like, I need you. You never, like, lived on your own. Your mom does your laundry. There's food in the fridge, right? You're going to have to figure that out, right? I'm like, okay, that's easy, right? I'm like excited for that. And I'm like, what's number two? He's like, expectation number two. And he's like, this is the most important. My expectation for you is I don't care whether you learn something in a classroom or in a textbook. If I cared about that, I would save myself the money and tell you just go to work for yourself and don't go to college because that's where you're going to learn so right you want you to get social and he said what i need you to figure out which i'm thinking like this is weird <laughs> i'm like well, you know and especially asian parents you know that were 
everything up until that moment was like, you got to do well, set yourself up for success, make sure your grades are good. And he was like, what I need you to figure out, and I need you to do in four years because I don't have any more money outside of that. I went to Bradley University, Beautiful. Peoria, Illinois, part yeah. of Illinois. He's like, you're going you're gonna to meet kids that grew up on farms. You're going to meet international students that are leaving their country because they want to come to our country for the best education they can find. And in those meetings, you're going to find some people that have never met a Korean person, let alone an Asian person, ever in their life. And half of those people are going to really embrace that. And they're going to come from a place of curiosity. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to want to learn about our culture. The other half, they're going to want nothing to do with you. And they're going to think you're inferior to them. It's like what I need you to figure out in four years is no matter what side of the fence the people you meet are on, you need to, you need to figure out how to build relationships with both people. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, weirdo. Like, what are you talking right, about? I'm going to college. I'm going I'm to learn. I'm going to business school. I'm going to learn every, accounting, marketing. I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to get great grades. You know, It was literally in one year out the other. I was like, this is the weirdest conversation. Fast forward four years later. It's about a couple weeks from graduation, right? Did in four years. Living with eight of my best friends in a house that only has five bedrooms, right? And every day leading up to graduation, right? I hear a knock on the door and there would be like a bouquet of flowers. There'd be a cookie basket, right? There'd be all these gifts that my roommates were getting showered with from their parents because they're graduating. I'm thinking, I'm looking at all this shit. And I'm just like, where the hell's my appreciation? Where's my gratitude? I'm looking at this, looking at the cookie. Granted, I'm like, okay. Only white people send each other cookies, you know, <laughs> the Koreans don't do that kind of shit. But I, you know, I remember picking up the phone, right? Landline calling my, my dad because I got a letter in the mail that day. And I told my dad, I'm like, guess what? What? I got a job. It's a company called CDW. They're a fortune 100 company. And they told me if I do X, Y, and Z consistently for three years, I'll be on track to make six figure income. And he was just like, wow, I'm proud of you. And finally, I was like, that's that's the admiration. That's the appreciation. That's a gratitude I was waiting for my entire life from my dad. Right. Then the silence ended on the other line. And he says, I'm proud of you because you're going to know what it's like to work for someone else. And I was seeing red at that time. I'm just like, Dad, I don't think you fucking get it. This is a really bad job recession. All my roommates, none of them have jobs. They're going to grad school or law school, not because they want to become a lawyer or further their education because they have nothing better to do. They're putting themselves into debt or their parents into debt. I'm going to be working. Like, I do you understand that? He's like, yes, I do. And you're going to learn what it's like to work hard for someone else. I just hang up the phone. You have to understand everyone in my family, right outside of my dad, 
They're all small business owners, right? My dad was too, because of my mom, right? She owned a dry cleaner. Everyone in my in my family had dry cleaners from the city all the way up to the North Shore. So I was just like, gosh, this is, you know, my, they just don't get it, right? Fast forward four years later, I'm at CDW for four years now. I did X, Y, and Z, which was make 130 cold calls a day. My segment of book of business was state and local government healthcare. It's like I was going to the DMV 130 times a day. It was miserable, I bet. I bet. <laughs> but, but I did it. And you know what? I may, I was making $125,000. I was 24 years old, wow. 25 years old. Bought a condo in Lakeview. Felt pretty confident. Oh, felt like I was the king of the world, right? Right. Bought a condo. It was a new construction condo. Wow. I think I put 1% down, right? That was back in the day when you could do that. Barry and Sheffield. I Of course, I saved $0. Barry and Sheffield? That's where my office was. Get out of here. I was at that Remax right there, 3110. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I was on the the corner where, remember Matilda's bar? Of course. I was right down there. So four years later, it's the last day of the month in February, 2006. And I'm the last person in the office sitting in my cube, okay? 120 South Riverside, right across from the, the Merck and the Lyric Opera House, right? And I'm the last person there because it was the last day of the month and that was my best sales month ever. Wow. And I wanted to see my commission check. So the company, you know, intranet. And this is like back in the day where you had the big ass CRT monitors, right? Green screen. It was like IBM AS400 system. I'm hitting shift F5, refreshing my screen constantly. And it was literally, I think like 659, like the lights turn off in the office. It refreshes, right? And my commission check was $30,000. Right. A lot of money back then. Yeah. A lot of money still today. Exactly. I remember seeing that and I'm just staring at my screen, just kind of like, like just very blank expression. I remember I thought I would be like jumping in the air, fist pumping, but as I'm staring at my screen, something catches my eye, right? To the right of my, my monitor, I had printed on my cubicle wall and stuck up there $300,000, right? That was my goal. Uh, For the year? No, for, for the month, gross profit. GP okay. is what we called it at, in the CDW term. So I had to produce $300,000 of gross profit, and I got a 10% cut of that, okay? And I remember doing the math, like, okay, I got 30. I made, you know, Michael Crassy, 270K. No complaints, all right? Because I had a beautiful office downtown. I had a book of business. I had, you know- Didn't have to pull call as much anymore. From, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's the price to play poker, right? What bothered me was next to that piece of paper was another piece of paper. It was a calendar. I would always print out that month's calendar. And I still do this today. I would chunk down my goals. How much revenue did I have to sell a day and how much profit did I have to sell a day to get to that goal? And every day I did, I would put an X through that day. I remember sitting in that cube in the dark, right? The screen from uh, the light from the monitor was the only thing like illuminating my area. I'm looking at all these X's. I'm like, wow, man, I can't believe, you know, killer month. And then halfway through the month, I start to notice things behind these X's. Okay. 
the most notable thing was Jimmy's birthday. Jimmy is my best friend. Known him since third grade. Fast forward from that moment, he would be one of my best men in my wedding. He'd be one of the godparents of my middle daughter, Mosley. And I'm thinking, holy crap. And this is back when I was 20 years old, right? When we could go to a bar and pay like $30, you get a wristband and they give you a cup. And they're just like, yep, Drink three hours, we'll fill it up. I'm like, I don't remember doing that. I think, I don't remember going out to dinner with the guy. That was like a, you missed it. That was a tradition, right? I, I'm like, I don't even remember calling him to say happy birthday. And I realized, holy shit, I missed it. Then I started to notice other things. Family events, friend events. I was so focused on making money that I had completely ignored everything. And then in that moment, right, I had what I think is like equivalent to like what alcoholics call that moment of clarity. Yes. It was like it was like in the movies when you have those flashback montages of all these weird conversations I had with my dad leading back to the night before I went to college. And him it and made me, sense at that point. And I had done it for those four years. For since that moment, I had focused on relationships. And in that moment, because I thought at that young age, and I think a lot of people out of college think the same. We think success is the number on your W-2 at the end of the year, right? And for me, I thought, man, $100,000 plus, I'm set. And I had gotten there. And what I had sacrificed was all those relationships my dad empowered me to make and focus on. And I had realized that this was the most money I had made in those 25 years I've been alive. I was miserable. First thought every morning I woke up was how many days away till Friday, right? And that's a miserable way to live. Oh, it's the worst. I picked up the phone, called my dad, and I'm just sobbing. My dad's like, you know, like he thought I was in like a car wreck. Like, what's going on? I apologized to him for all these years. I had, you don't know this, but I had a lot of animosity against you because I just didn't think you were proud of me. And, And then it was a beautiful moment that. You know, he he was telling me, no, I'm proud of you. I just don't know how to express my feelings, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of told him, like, I'm an, I'm an idiot. I chased the money. Everything you told me to do, I was doing, right? It was like you had just, like, manifested this in me, whether I knew I was doing it or not. And I completely wiped the slate clean. And I remember the end of the conversation, the last thing he said to me, he's like, so what are you going to do about this? And I remember thinking, like, holy shit. What am I going to do about this? And I was afraid to hang up the phone because I knew as soon as I hung up the phone, I had to change. And so this long story I share with you because that was that was my fork in the road moment where I hung up the phone. I said, I got to do something different. And that's when those seeds my grandpa planted me started to sprout real estate. My roommate was Josh Weinberg. Fantastic. We went to college together. That's where we met. He's one year younger. Though. Where's he from? Where's he? St. Louis, Chesterfield, Missouri. Okay, okay. so he's, 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 like the, he's from like the Highland Park of St. Louis, right? Came to Bradley, followed his friends from St. Louis. And when I bought that condo, he rented that second bedroom from me. And he got a job out of college with this developer called Pulte Homes. Sure. One of the largest national developers. Huge. And think about during that time, early 2000s, I mean, they were pumping out spec homes all throughout that Southwest suburbs, right? 
all the way from like Joliet, Huntley to like Naperville. And he was selling those. He learned a lot about real estate. Learned a lot. And he loved what he did. He just hated who he worked for. Not because of the company culture or anything, but he he couldn't. And you know, Josh, he's an outside the box thinker. He saw these families coming in saying, I want this home, but the numbers and financing, whatever. And he's like, no, no, we can structure this this way. Call, right? He's like, it was like working for like a, a being a car salesman at dealership. I had to call a manager to get every counter off. Well, they're a production builder. So oh. they have their way of doing it. That's the way they're going to do it. Right. And that probably drove Josh nuts. And he was there like, no, you can't do that. Like, why? You're going to net the same. Let's, it's a different way to get to the same number. Like, no, do it this way. And so while he loved what he did, he hated that he had this this corporate veil over him. Restrictions. And, exactly. And so he, we both would come home, complain about what we were doing, and then we just looked at each other. Let's just do this on our own. Right? So he had a license, obviously, and you needed to get one. So I got it. And from day one, this was to the end of 2006, before Illinois changed their license law four months later for an extra... 15 hours of classroom work and extra 50 questions I had to answer on the state and national exam. I got my broker's license, which is now the managing, managing broker. Yeah. So him and I just opened our own shop from day one. It was Weinberg nice. Choi Realty, but it was never from a place of like, we want to build this like big brokerage. It was just an umbrella for him we and I to be sell free. as a team. Yeah, exactly. We want to be free and we want to be able to do our own thing. Exactly. That's really impressive though, that you would just go out on your own <laughs> right from the start we didn't know what we didn't know and that was and we did that part-time while we were still both in our nine to five still for about six to seven months and it's actually funny this past monday at 2 11 was when i officially sent my resignation email at cdw i have it framed up and you know it that's i know great. it because that 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 was the moment in my life that's equivalent to you know, you watch The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. It's a moment when everything goes to color. Yeah, the, it's the color. I love, I love that analogy. I use it a lot of times, and I've had a few of those moments. You know, all good stories have a call, a pit, yeah, and then the transformation, both inner and outer. Yeah, and so let's fast forward now that the Join Weinberg team is the number one team at our company. Yep. I don't know about the whole company, but our company, our company has about four hundred twenty-five agents. They I don't know, grossed well over two and a half million dollars in commissions payable. 3.1. Okay. 3.1. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to get screwed up. And, <laughs> and, and I know that you've figured out a way to plug people into different positions. And I happen to be able to go and listen to you all talk yeah. about it. And it's so upfront, you and Josh are just selling on your own. You really don't have anybody helping you. Yep. And yep. you're probably making mistakes. Oh, and left and right. You probably call them the helpline a lot, the yeah. posting service. Failing forward. You know, there was a time in our lives where every time when we had to take continuing education, I would uh, I would come back from that class and be like, dude, we're basically a walking license violation. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're yeah. not following like, anything. So we'd have to like come back and change stuff. But so we were doing it on our own for a long time. And then something happened in both of our lives. We became fathers we became parents okay a little responsibility right and so you know and i've shared this before with you but there was a moment where we were just 
like making just like money hand over fist because it was just us two, right? We had no overhead. We were just running a raw talent. And one day I remember I like woke up and I was behind my BMW steering wheel. And I'm like, how did I get here? I'm on the highway on the Edens and half my car was riding underneath a semi truck oh, bed. God. And what woke me up was all these cars, including this truck driver, they were blowing their horns. And thank God this truck driver somehow kept up with my speed. Otherwise, I would have been crushed. Wake up, see what's going on, pull over to the side of the road. And I had blacked out because I was averaging like three hours of sleep, right? Because I would go take buyers out for six hours, try and get back to show my listings, get home. Be a husband, be a dad, help out there. Kid goes to bed. Now I got to open my inbox up, get back to all the deals that I'm in, replying back to clients, whatnot. It's so addictive, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And then next thing you know, it's like 3.30 in the morning. I'm like, I got to go to bed because my day starts at 7.30. And it wasn't a sustainable lifestyle. I was heading towards burnout. And that was So was this like 2009? That was 2000. 10, 10, So you fought through the 2008 oh, nightmare yeah. and you guys were still selling like crazy. We didn't know better though, right? right? It was the greatest thing that could have happened. We, you know, hindsight looking back, you're like, holy crap, wow, we weathered a storm. But we just, we just kept going, right? Kept going. But that was the moment where Josh and I, I called him after that. I'm like, we got to hire someone. We need an assistant. And that's when, because you know how it is. And this is, and this is why I'm always empowering realtors to do this sooner. People, when they make their first hire, they're already behind the eight ball, right? And the problem is, is that when you start to make money, now you kind of start to protect it. You're like, oh my gosh, I remember the days when I wasn't. You want to hoard it. Exactly. And that's the opposite of what you, you should be doing. Invest, you got invested back into your business, right? Because then you'll scale. And literally that first, you know, and or the second thought too, and or is like, well, what am I going to have this person do? Right. And you're like, are you kidding me? Then what do I do? There's a ton of stuff you can do. Right? Oh, there's a million things. Right. If you really write it out and you figure it out and you put a plan together. Absolutely. And so our first assistant, her name was Mikey Hardy. And we hired her and our business doubled the next year. And then we were just hooked. We're like, we got to grow. We need to, we need to hire more assistants because that's going to only help us. And so then what changed was when we got to Keller Williams, you know, I kind of equated to like, we were we were like runners, but we were just you know watching YouTube videos, <laughs> right? On a treadmill. We're going to our local fleet and feet shop, running with our local groups. Then we come to Keller Williams and we get plugged in nationally with all these teams and we get a high level. I felt like we just went to Kenya. We're running with the best runners in the world, right? right. And we couldn't keep Systems up, right? Right. But holy crap and that's when we started to we pivoted our business to this idea of focus mastery right focus roles on our team and then what that did was promote balance to the team too and now it's like i'm in the batter's box and i'm just focused on one pitch right and because i'm so focused on that pitch i can identify right when the ball's leaving the pitcher's hand and i'm ready to just swing hard at this thing and i'll hit it out of the park right so you know, I had never met you, but I had seen your picture and that smiley face of yours. And you always had those nice, nice suits on. Mm-hmm. And you were a guy who gave back. You yep. you worked up the Chicago Association of Realtors to the point of being president. Yep. 
So what year were you president of the association? 2019. Okay, so that's a long time after you had been so successful. So you can't really say, wow, I became president and that catapulted my career. No, you know what? But it, it, it definitely founded and, and pushed me up even higher afterwards. With your referral business from all exactly. over the country, probably. Exactly. But you know what it was for me? Once again, you know me. At the foundation, right, gratitude is where I, I stand upon. And so at that point, right, even like I had served as a board of director for maybe like six years up until that point. And for me to be involved... You know, there's no like my resume doesn't mean anything. I'm my own boss. I can't give myself a raise. I tried, you know, Josh Josh vetoes me on that. But it's a place of gratitude. I'm so grateful for what this industry and our profession has provided me, my family, my team, my friends that I can't I'm not the one that can just sit back there and just focus on selling and ignore all the ancillary stuff, all the threats on our industry. I'm one that has to raise my hand and say, you know what? Put me on the front line. I want to protect this. Not only selfishly so that I still have a profession Advo- to work in. Advocacy. Right. I want to wedge my foot in that door behind me that I walked through so that another 25-year-old kid that's at that corporate you know, crossroads that wants to seek the same success or even more than I achieved, they can still walk through that door today and still get into our profession, right? So for me, my involvement is solely based around that, being grateful for everything it's provided me to make sure that it's protected for the future and for our future. And so that was why the catalyst for me to get involved, to be able to have that say and make sure that, you know, we can shape it in the direction we want. And also, right, at the time, there weren't many producing agents involved at the level that I am, right? Being a top 10 agent out of 20,000 realtors. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, for those that are transacting at a high level, we were represented as well, right? And to be that beacon for them so that they can say, oh shit, you know what? Maybe I should get involved. I feel like the giving back is where the magic happens. I look back on my life and so many different board of directors I've been on and people would say, why are you involved here? You don't have a special needs child. I said, well, because... I had this overcoming feeling if I did have a special needs child, my whole life would totally change and no one would even know about it. Right. So those parents need the help. Totally. And I felt that with so many different Absolutely. things. Like with, with Remax, I, I was the sales advisory council president. Yep. I changed everything the way we did. I was on five different committees, but I felt like I was helping my company, my profession, and I was getting so many referrals from it. So now you're involved with the National Association of Realtors. Explain to us what your position yeah. is. Yeah. So last year, I was the vice president of the National Association of Realtors. Of, of, they call it vice president of association affairs. So basically, every committee was like kind of, I'm overseeing you know that. And it's the highest appointed position because the president basically picks two vice presidents. And so... You know, what the cool part about that, not only from everything I just explained, right, coming from a place of gratitude and doing it at the highest level, but also I was the first Asian American vice president in the history of NAR, right? Fantastic. And so that was a really great way. And it's not so much for me celebrating being the first. It's more so now making sure that I'm not the last, right? 
and, exactly. and protecting you're that. You're going to break it open. Right. But let's talk about some of the other things you're doing because you, after I came to Tommy's office and I said, Tommy, I had five different people have told me I have to meet you. And I could tell from your articles you wrote in the, in the Chicago Association of Realtors magazine that you're a special guy. And you said, you know, Greg, I've had a few people tell me I need to meet you, but you got to do what I do. And I said, well, I do. He goes, no, no, not the real estate. I'm talking about public speaking. And I've had a little bit doing public speaking, but I've never done it on a level professionally like you are doing now. And I think it's such an exciting thing that one, you can be compensated really well and you can help so many people's lives and you can get such a buzz from it. Because I know when you talk about it, how excited you get. Yeah. So if you could explain to people a little bit of how you transformed into a public speaker and you go out on the road, maybe 40, 50 times a year and you speak all over the country and, yeah. and, and outside the country too. So it was about maybe eight, nine years ago. I was at, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a serial learner, right? I always want to constantly stay learning base. I'm at a conference. I can't remember what conference it was, but I'm in the audience. I like to get early because I want to get, you know, get right up front. front, front I always do that too. You know, listen. You can feel it. Exactly. And I sit down in this row and there's like this, this gentleman next to me. So, you know, I'm like, I make small talk, right? Where are you from? My name is Tommy, blah, blah, blah. How long are you in the industry? And this guy, he's like, yeah, I've been doing this for, this is, this is going to be my second year. I'm like, awesome. How is it? He's like, it's terrible. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I haven't made money. I'm in debt. I left a really good corporate job with benefits and insurance. And I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know what? I borrowed a thousand bucks from my sister to come to this conference because I have to learn something here. I'm going to give myself another six months. And if I don't make money, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. And I was like, oh, did you like what you were doing? He's like, that was the darkest time of my life. It was miserable. I'm like, and you want to go back? He's like, I got to make money. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, geez, this is heavy. Right. And I'm just like, hey, man, his name was Mark. I'm like, I wish you best of luck. Keynote speaker comes on stage. This guy comes out with a telephone book in his hand. Okay. This is 2012. I don't know. Uh, right. Internet era. And he comes out with this telephone book and he goes, this will make you a million dollars. And I'm like, what? And he's like, these businesses, they all have customers and these customers live in the communities where these businesses are located and they live in homes. That's your client. Start with A. Call them. Introduce yourself. Tell them you're going to send them referrals, but you need them to send you referrals. And I'm like, I'm like chuckling. I'm like, this guy hasn't sold in like 40 years. And I'm like about to nudge Mark next to me. Like, can you get a load of this guy? I look over. He's already taken three pages of notes. I'm like, this poor guy. He needs it so bad. He borrowed a thousand bucks. He couldn't even go to his parents, right? Because he was probably so ashamed. Right. He had to go with his sister. I'm thinking like, this is this this is like this is a crime right here. This guy, this poor guy. And he's so he's not giving value. And so that flight home, God, it sat in me so much, so much. I'm like, 
I that motivated me to want to get on stage. Not because what I had to say so relevant and important or whatever, but I had an evidence of success, right? I was selling at that time $50, $60 million in real estate. Something is working. I'm just going to share what I do. And if someone like this Mark guy comes out, it's going to be better than get a phone book and call businesses, right? So I did that. I called everyone I knew just saying like, hey, if you ever have an opportunity or hear of one at, at a conference or some sort of sales meeting or whatever, I'd love to just be there, right? I'll pay my own way. And then I started to get these at-bats. Like, all right, you got one. I would. So did you have your whole speech written up for your first one or did you just, just kind of go off the top of your head? No, I did. I had basically a framework, right? Oh, it, but it was, it was choppy, right? Sure. But I'll bet but, you help somebody. It, well, so the very first gig I ever went to, I had, there was maybe like 50 people in the audience, right? And I remember as soon as I was done, right? The high that I felt, I'm like, there's no substance in this world that can mimic how I feel right now, right? Manufacturing feeling, right? I was on cloud nine. And I remember, you know, that moment and people coming up to me and saying like, holy crap, like I never thought of this, whatever, you know, and it, it and a little bit like fed into my ego. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, wow, this is crazy. So that plane ride home, I said, holy crap, like I'm, I'm addicted to that feeling. I need more of it. The beauty in this is that right at the core, every single time I hit a stage, I see Mark and I'm speaking to Mark, right? There's a Mark in that audience and that's who I'm speaking to. So one, it holds me accountable. When I get off stage on the plane ride home, I always audit myself and kind of goes through playback. Okay, this wasn't good. I got to tweak this. But when I go over my content and I say, you know what? This piece that, of advice that I shared, I haven't really been doing a good job about it. It holds me accountable for the next day when I get into the office. I started doing that because I never want to be the phony with the with the telephone book, right? So that just that accountability alone has grown our business because I'm staying true to what I've done and what I continue to do. Two, six, seven, eight months later, I'll get these handwritten notes, cards, oh, I saw it. and it'll be people that are at these things, like these marks that say the same story. Like, you know what? I wasn't seeing success managing broker all these people told me that i need to like door knock i need to like cold call people go do this and i was doing things that weren't me you taught me to be authentic to myself now accentuate yourself literally and people are like now i have six million dollars in deals in the pipeline pending and like this is great thank you right so that pouring into people and seeing that they're seeing success that's very addicting right and that feeds into me and then the financial part you said right being able to be compensated for my time speaking on stage. That part is great, but not from the same point. I'm not doing this for the money. For me, that part's important because it's my way to to be respectful to my business partner, Josh, and my wife, my kids at home. So they know that I'm not just going out there as a hobby and doing this because it just gets my rocks off. Hey, I'm getting compensated for my time. I'm being respectful to you all, right? This isn't like a vacation. So that's kind of the full circle thing. Do I want to do this 
like as a career. No, it's not. It's it's about making sure I'm connecting to those marks in the audience, making sure that I can hold myself accountable. And then the beauty is like last year, we closed 46 referrals that we get from people like, hey, I saw you. I got someone moving to Chicago. Can your team help? And that's great because I just feed it to my team. They're loving it. And right? It's not like it's it's not like it's changing your lifestyle. It's no. actually accentuating your teams, and it's it's putting more onus on them to do a better yeah. job. And yeah. I mean, to me, it's always been when someone says they want you to represent them, mm -hmm. whether it's a listing or as a buy, I get goosebumps it's because ultimate. I feel like that is such an honorable thing that they really now. I feel sad for, it seems to me, a lot, a lot of people are just all transactional in our business. They really don't seem to appreciate that. Right. I know that you have the gratitude to appreciate it. But I, mean, I remember when I used to cold call on Canvas, and I did very well at it. I remember one of my bosses would say, go Vita size them. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? Well, you come across so sincere. You're so honest. You know, you your grandfather was in it. Your father was in it. And I remember driving out to see David Linegar. He was the one who started Remax, and he really gave everybody a big, you know, lift because it used to be 50-50. And then all of a sudden Remax came it was 100 percent But if you ran your business right, you probably spent 50%, but you were running right. your own business. So it was a different deal. So yep. I was so excited to hear what he was got to say. And he said exactly the opposite of what I thought he'd say. I thought he'd say cold call and canvas. And he said, Listen, life is important that you accentuate yourself yep. and the things you love to do, figure it out. Put them on your schedule. People want to work with people that are turned on, that are excited, that are doing things that make them go. Yeah. And I always ran basketball teams, and I love that teamwork. And there was a lot of different things. I, I, I like going to the theater. I love going to shows. So I started doing more of that. And I could tell, like you said, wow, I'm getting a lot more referrals. Yeah. People, I, and I started really giving back to the association, to Remax, and my referral business just went crazy. Yeah. And I could see that, like the way you talk about going on a listing appointment. Yeah. You know you're going to have the meeting out of your hands. Oh, yeah. And you're just so excited for that appointment. I go in there, and I, I don't care if they're interviewing five realtors, 10 realtors. I have so much confidence and that's not like from a place of being like cocky or conceited. I'm just so confident in my ability. Well, you know your team. Exactly. You know you guys are spot on. Right. From staging the house to doing your marketing to getting the word out to figure out how to get the showings going, all of that. Mm -hmm. You know you've got a system and you're going to kill it. Well, and then also there's no sales pitch involved. It's my being authentic and if you don't like it and you don't jive with that it's cool like right. there's no i'm not offended it's not I'm a right not, way and wrong way there's your way totally it's okay and that's and that i don't i'm not batting a thousand right but that's okay and that's where the confidence comes in where i'm like i was me they didn't like it great right okay i'll move on to the next one because it probably wouldn't have been a good fit anyways well then that was your advice for me with the public speaking greg Two main things, authentic and vulnerable. Yep. And then my thought was, I haven't told a lot of these stories. I've always kind of been scared or ashamed potentially. And you were like, get over it, yeah. share it. Those are all in the past. 
people will appreciate it. And so now I've used this when I go to networking events and I, and that's one of the things I realize is that that's where my magic is, right. is with people. I'm a people person. I, I love hearing people's story. I love hearing your story. It's exciting to me. Like, and being able to get your story out to the masses now where our listenership is yeah. way up from the last few interviews. And also my assistant is doing such a wonderful job of marketing. Things yeah. That I literally market the people that are on my show better than I market myself <laughs> in real estate. And I don't care because, and I don't make anything off of this. Right. It's actually, I pay for it, but it's so much fun. Totally. Right? And so if you were going to give people, I don't know about your methods, your methodologies, or just your inspiration of, hey, you're just getting into real estate. You should really consider this, this, and this. What would you tell So if I could go back in time, right, get that DeLorean right from Back to the Future, and, and the night before I started full-time in real estate, there's three things I would tell myself, okay? One, you have to be intentional and you have to be purposeful on who you choose to surround yourself with in business and in personal life, right? The only people that matter are the ones in your locker room. That being said, you have to make sure you're in the right locker room, right? For me, what does that look like? It's not a fan club of everything I do. People are praising me. You're awesome. Keep going, right? It's people that are going to be honest and keep it real, right? My locker room, when I run into people for the first time since like 2019 during this pandemic, after the hugs and highs, it's so great to see you. Usually the first comment out of those people are like, hey, you're looking a little chubby. Did you not work out? Did you just eat during this pandemic? Because they care about me. They're keeping it honest and real with me, right? They're giving you feedback. If the people that you spend the most time with aren't pushing you to raise the bar on your standards, you got to, you're in the wrong locker room. Right. You got to find a new room. And it's cliche to say you become the average of five people. You spend. It's cliche because it's true, right? So from day one, anyone that's getting into this business, you have to make sure you're surrounded by the right people. That means whatever brokerage you choose to, to you know be in, that means the agents you choose to try and mentor, get mentored by within your brokerage or outside of your brokerage and in personal life. I've had to step away from dear friends of mine. Toxic. If they're toxic and it's not healthy. Totally. And you know what's happened? I've had friends that had really bad substance abuse problems that I had to say, listen, this is our relationship is affecting how I am as a partner to my wife, how I am as a father, how I am as a leader. I love you. I want you to get better. I'm walking away. And every time I've had to walk away, Thankfully, these people have come back into my life a couple of years later, clean, healthy. sober, healthy, right? And, and and it's it's kind of like thank you for kind of from for stepping away from me, right? I hated you for that, but then I realized well, it was a they blessing a problem. that happened, right? And you were, it, you were really helping them by telling them, that, look at I can, if right. if I'm going to go ahead and still be your friend, I'm basically saying it's okay what you're doing exactly and it's not okay and, and it's at feels... least it's not okay for me right you you can jump off the lake you know you can jump in the lake if you want you're going to do whatever you right. want to do but and i feel like what you're talking about and it's really interesting is that that's the whole culture 
yep. at Keller Williams. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first got into Keller Williams and I was reading all this stuff, I thought, oh, I'll be great at this because this is all the same spiritual tapes and books. Right. I, I, I've listened to The Power of Intention by Wayne Dyer probably 600 times. I know it sounds fanatical, but I wanted to internalize it. Yep. Wishes Fulfilled by Wayne Dyer. Everything that Brian Tracy's ever done. I listen to Brian Buffini every day. And what's funny is I feel now like they're just friends of mine, really. And I don't put them on any pedestal. And I don't put you on a pedestal. Yep. I don't put anybody on a pedestal. Exactly. And I want to share at a higher level. I feel like there's lower energy, there's higher energy. But at Keller Williams, we're really creating something that's at a higher level. I'm telling you, I feel like I'm running with the Kenyans right now. You know? And I feel like that too. And you've definitely helped me to see the light of it's okay to do it your way. Everybody has their own way of doing it. So for years, I've always had an assistant or two, and I've always had two or three people on my team. I never really ran it where we all had different positions and everything. I just tried to help everybody as much as I could. And right. I never really cared about the compensation. <laughs> That's the beauty of our industry. There's not one definition of success. Everyone has a different definition of what they want to achieve. And there's not one path to get there. There's there's no right or wrong way of doing it, right? It's just different levels of success that you see and figuring out what's true to you, right? So you got to be intentional and purposeful on who you, who you surround yourself with. Two, this is the most transparent industry and profession, I think, out there, meaning I can look up how much this person sold, this person sold, this person sold. I could pretty much figure out how much they're making, right? And in that moment, I could bitch and complain. I'm better than them. How are they doing so better than me? How do they get this listing, right? They suck. What does that get you? Nothing, right? It's you can't focus on being better than someone else, right? You can't play that comparison game in this industry to see success. You have to focus on being better than who you were from the day before, right? That incremental growth that's going to compound, right? Focusing in just your lane. And, you know, ultimately what, no matter how many people are whizzing by you, good for them. This isn't a race against each other, right? This is just a journey to get to whatever that success is. You know what's that? And you just made me think of this. The way you can change your goals. So like for years, my goals were basically just to be happy and be thankful yeah. and to raise my children and give them a good lifestyle. Great. Now, all of a sudden, I want to build a lot of buildings. Yeah. I want to take affordable housing and I want to do thousands of homes. And I feel this need. I have to. Well, to do that, I need more equity in these things. I need more assets. Right. So I'm just doing a lot more because I have this goal that's it's like wind in my sail that's forcing me basically after that goal, I have right. to. I have to public speak now. I want to go with you and listen to you and be right after you, right yes. before you, and high five with you afterwards because I feel that magic. Absolutely. So what are your biggest goals now, Tommy? You know, from that day in February in 2006 where I said, okay, finances and money was kind of what my North Star was. And realizing how miserable I was, my shift was I, my next gig, happiness and joy has to be there, right? That's all that's important to me. So for me, that's, I've dug a deep moat around that 
to protect that. And so all my goals are around that, right? Is that what's going to continue to bring me happiness and joy? And the ultimate goal for me is, is around legacy, okay? And that's such a really multifaceted, deep word, right? Because sometimes people hear legacy and they think like trust fund, millions of dollars being given and whatnot, or, or you know, being- You think of a funeral. Yeah, or a funeral or <laughs> Hall of Fames and whatever. For me, my legacy is solely about my kids, right? Just like what my like what my grandpa and my parents' legacy was about me. And for me, achieving legacy, my goal is one day when I'm not here, that my kids can walk into a room and they never have to introduce themselves to anyone. And and what I mean by that is not from a conceited, cocky way that everyone knows who they are because of money they have or, you know, tangible goods or, you know, influence or being a socialite. They don't, my, what I'm working towards is them working so hard that they never have to introduce themselves because when they walk into a room when I'm not here, the people in that room were positively affected by me that they can come up and say, hey, you're Henley. You're Tommy's oldest daughter. He always talked about you. Let me tell you what my what your father did for me that really helped me out. Whatever you need, I always have your back. I want a community of people in this city, in this country, always watching after them, making sure that they're taken care that's of. So right. That's that's and so whether it's speaking, whether it's coaching people, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's helping people buy and sell, that's building into that legacy. Right? It really is. Treating people well, helping them out when I can, and hoping that eventually that's going to come back and help my kids out one day. So you've got these three kids. How about this wife of yours? She must be a very special person. There's nothing. If you took Tesha out of this, my timeline, I probably would still achieve what I have achieved, but I think maybe 50 years from now, like right. literally. That's the way it was for me too. My wife just, I remember when I first met her, we would go out for dinner and she would ask me all the things I'm doing for marketing. And as we're having a few cocktails, I would get defensive when she would tell me that I was doing it wrong or I should really consider this, this, and this. And then when the, the next morning, when I would get to the office, I would write down everything she said and implement it all. Yeah. And my, my production tripled because she's a marketing genius, but also that she cared enough about me to tell me. Other people would just blow it up and yeah. she would tell me the truth. And she has definitely been my best asset in my life as I bet your wife probably is. I've never met her, but I'm sure she's a wonderful Listen, lady. Listen, you know, have you ever flown a kite before? Yes. You know, the kite flies the highest against the wind, right? But that's just, that's the easy part. Once you're in the air, right, then the hard part happens, right? You have to make sure you're avoiding other kites. You make sure you're navigating around electrical lines, trees, not getting tangled up. Sometimes when you're starting to get too high, right, you need to have someone that brings you back down to safety, right? My wife is the one that's, I'm the kite, and my wife is the one on the ground holding that and making sure, right, when I'm getting too far, off the ground, you need to come back to earth, buddy. She centers you. She brings me back down. 
when I'm starting to veer into a little bit of trees or electric line, she, she'll, she'll kind of navigate me back there. Right. And that's, you need to, everyone needs to have that person in their lives. Right. I'm, I'm grateful. I have two. I have Josh Weinberg too. And he, he helps me on that business side, but it's easy when the wind's blowing to be like, let's get up in the air, but you need someone to kind of, I love that when you guys are speaking about when your team was out there and someone asked Josh, well, how do you work with the team? He says, I love them all up and I love all my clients up and I love my life. And I'm so appreciative every day of what I have to do. And he really appreciates you because you guys complement each other so well. So I feel like having these great relationships is probably made you even richer than the fortunes that you've made in commissions and in paid speaking events and everything else. So as far as giving back, other than the work with the association, what other types of things do you do? I know you were at Red Day where yep. we all gave back. And You know, I'll tell you, giving back, like when people hear that, they think of, you know, the volunteering your time, you know, writing a check to an organization and whatnot. But my whole business, right, is around giving back. And sometimes that means giving back to your clients, right? You know, we have, you know, June 1st, next week is our, is when Weinberg Choice started, right? And this is, we're celebrating our 15th year in business. It's like uh, Best Josh Buddy's birthday. It's a, June 1? Yeah, it's a powerful day. It's a really powerful day. And so our business for the last 15 years has fluctuated year over year between 89 and 91% referral based. Right. Wow. We never paid for an online, you know, lead aggregator or billboards and magazine, not because they don't work. They work great. I have, you know, Matt Laracy is one of my close friends and he's spends a ton of money on Zillow and he's oh obviously God. very successful. $300,000. Right? So Emily Sachs once wrote about $500,000 right. and all these different things. So it all works. But once again, why we don't do that, it goes back to what my dad told me to focus on, right? The night before college, relationships. And so giving back in relationships is a really important piece. When I meet someone for the first time, say I meet you for the first time, Greg, to me, you are you look like an ATM machine, okay? <laughs> and what I mean by that, and by the way, for anyone that's a millennial listening, an ATM is like a brick and mortar Venmo. I feel like kids don't go to ATM machines. Right. Anymore. They I mean, don't they did it all, right? But what I mean by that is relationships, you have to treat like an ATM machine. When you go up to an ATM, there's two things you can do functions, right? Main functions. You could either make a withdrawal and take money out of your account, or you can make a deposit and put money into your account. Same thing with relationships. When you're cultivating, curating relationships. When I meet you for the first time, I identify, you know what, Greg Meaty is not a jerk. I want to establish a relationship with this guy. I can at that point make a withdrawal and ask you for something and take out of our relationship. Or I can make a deposit into your life, right? And bring value into your relationship, right? Doing one or the other is not better or worse, wrong or right, right? However, if you make too many withdrawals from your bank account without making deposits, what happens? Yeah, Insufficient done. funds, right? What I've learned in relationships, once you've made too many withdrawals and you get to a point of insufficient funds with that person, 
it's hard to come back out. And we all have those people. Oh, how, sure. how do you know you have them? Whenever someone calls you and you look at your phone, he goes, what does this guy want? And you hit him back to voicemail, insufficient funds. That person's probably taking too many withdrawals from a narcissist you. probably. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it's always been about giving back, making deposits. Our ratio we follow for the last 15 years is we make three deposits into people's lives before we make one withdrawal, right? We want to build up our account. That's a great analogy. And, and here's the thing. It's not so much, uh, we're not showering people with gifts. As long as you take time to listen, people will tell you in a conversation how they can make deposits. When I meet someone for the first time, I follow a lot of people know the Ford model, F-O-R-D, Family, Occupation, Recreation, Dreams. I ask those four questions like, hey, Greg, tell me, are you married? Do you have a partner? Do you have, do you have kids? Do you have a family, right? Do you have any pets, right? Yeah, I guess you did that to me. I didn't right? even think about that. Taking those notes. I'm like, yeah, hey, what 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 have you been what do you do? Tell me a little bit what you do. How long have you been at that company? Have you always worked there? What did you do before that, right? Just taking this all and taking I literally take notes when I meet people for the first time in a notebook. Record what, what do you like to do for fun? Travel? Oh, awesome. Where do you like going? Right. What are you doing this weekend for the holiday? Okay. Dreams. I'll pick one of those three and, and ask an aspirational question, right? Let's say, Trav, you say, oh, you like hiking. What, what, what is your dream hike? Where's the one dream vacation that you're wanting to go to your entire life, right? Taking those notes. In those answers, you will find deposit slips that people have given you, okay? I'll give you a great example. This was, oh, gosh. Maybe 10 years ago now, I got introduced to a buddy. His name is Evan. You're like, you got to meet him. He's great. And my mutual friend told Evan, you got to meet TC. He's a great guy. You know, whatever. And, you know, sit down doing this thing. And he was like, I'm like, what do you like to do for fun? He's like, you know what? I like traveling. Okay. What's, what's, what's your dream vacation? He's like, this is going to sound really weird, but... I want to rent an RV and go to every single national park west of the Mississippi. I'm like, that's not weird. That's pretty that cool. That pretty cool. <laughs> and you know what? After that coffee, the face-to-face, -face, I'm looking at these notes, and he was a great guy. I'm like, I want to build a relationship with this guy. So I made a small deposit. From that conversation, I went on to Amazon. I bought a Matchbox RV car for like a dollar fifty. Shipped it to him with a handwritten note expressing my gratitude for meeting with me, how much I enjoyed a conversation. And I said, hey, here's a little token of appreciation. I don't know if you're a visual guy, but it might be fun to keep this RV at your office and you can kind of motivate always be reminded, you. motivate you for that trip one day. Fast forward, pandemic, everyone's renting RVs, going on trips because everyone's afraid to fly. He went on that trip and he took that RV matchbox car with him and Put it on the front of the every national park sign. He took a selfie with it and he would send it to me. And he said, Hey, I did it. You motivated him. So this guy in the last 10 years, I have yet to help him personally. He had just bought a nice house and a single family home in Lincoln park. And he's, you know, he's going to be there until he's an empty nester. But in those 10 years, he has referred me 27 clients. Holy cow. It's probably in each client's minimum million dollar budget. Wow. 
because of this deposit I made into him. Because all it told him was like, man, this guy listened to me and he cared, right? That's that's the relationship. That's the giving back. You know, I love having, I, I crave the relationship. Totally. I crave to get to know people better, to share on a higher level. And, and I'm so glad that we have that in common. Yeah. You know, it, listen, that once again, what I said earlier, it goes back to protecting happiness. I wake up now every day not caring what day of the week it is because I am so happy because I love what I do. Well, you know what they say? Happiness is the way. Yeah. Most people, 85% of the people on the earth probably or more, throughout the day, their thoughts weaken them. So what I've figured out to do is before I step out of bed, I raise my hands in the air and say, thank you with a big smile. Say, how do I get to serve today? And that's gratitude. That is. And it takes me throughout the day. And I don't sit down and meditate like a, a monk for 10, 20 minutes, but I do get quiet, thankful, and appreciative. I kind of visualize myself in white light. And my mantra always was when I was hitchhiking and I hitchhiked thousands of miles, I would say, if I be evil, may I be humble. So, Tommy, is there anything else you want to say before we cut this off? I'm just grateful for you and for wanting to, to have me on this. I know you have you have a really extensive network of people and, and people have accomplished way more than I have. So I appreciate that. Yeah, but I think that you have such a great story and I think you're so listenable. And I think that you really do sincerely want to share with people. And I think that that's a magic. Thank you, everybody at Keller Williams One Chicago for being so cool and really taking this ride with us. Nothing against all the other companies, and believe me, I've worked with a lot of them, but we're thankful. So this is Greg Vitti and Tommy Choi from Real Estate Legends. We're going to sign off. Thank you so much, Tommy. Thanks for having me.